0: Um, yeah, we'll keep. We'll try to keep this like thirty, maybe. We'll see. We'll see how the conversation's going. For sure. Yeah, we won't go too late. My love is out for an girl. Welcome to the X Pod Two. Oh, She's in the, She's the, end of the world. So This is probably the Exponent Two I can't Universe universe the exponent to universe so we usually have the magazine the blog and the retreat and we are branching out into the podcast bringing in the different the different uh pillars as well so tonight we have our guest nancy ross who is a perma blogger and also one of the board members as a blog representative So really happy to have nancy here tonight We just had a board meeting. I was like, Nancy, where are you? And she's like, I'm coming back from the Mormon History Association. And then the next night I was like, wait a minute, we should contact her to have her um, post game how the Mormon History Association went. So I'd love if you do a quick intro to yourself, because I know a few things about you, but not a lot. Um, So just take a minute or two to introduce yourself. And then we'd love just to hear um,
1: how it went. How often have you gone? We'll go from there. (laughs) That works. Thank you for inviting me. Um, So I'm Nancy Ross. I am an associate professor at Utah Tech University, where I've been teaching for 16 years. Um, I do a lot of my research in Mormon studies, though I trained as a medieval art historian, um, and then I made a big shift about a decade ago to do Mm. Mormon studies. We have lots of Mormons here in St. George, but no medieval manuscripts. So that's, you know, it was a very wonderful (laughs) and, um, and I've been involved with the Mormon feminist community for a long time. I feel like um, when blogs were cool, I started, you know, coming to the exponent blog and to feminist Mormon housewives. And then we moved into this to the spaces of Facebook and I followed Mm -hmm. my communities there. And I feel like Mormon feminism has been such a huge part of my life um, for a long time now. And yeah. And, and that's part of what I do research wise as well, but. Well, well, and you're part of the
2: canon as well. Uh, this is, this is Heather talking. Um, yeah. We should say that Ramona is not with us tonight, but don't fear MoMA will be back by popular demand. So mm-hmm. just getting that out there. Um, so I have a lot of friends who teach global women's studies at BYU. And Nancy has an essay in the book that's part of their required reading and i think the title mm. is something about i'm a mormon feminist or or yeah something like that okay Ooh, very okay cool. so
1: yeah oh, yeah okay yeah no the, yeah no the, the i wrote a decade ago with jessica finnegan who was also mm-hmm. participant in the mormon feminist community um we co-authored a paper um, I was still a medievalist at that point, and I had discovered that she was living and going to school in um, in Cambridge, England. And I did my graduate degree there, and mm-hmm. I know the ward very well. I was born into that ward. My parents were met and married in that ward. Mm-hmm. I met my husband in that ward, so this is a place where I've loved wow. Oh my goodness! Do you know all the people? Uh-huh. And she's like, "Yes." Anyway, so then there, when this call for papers comes around, and she's like, "Well, do you want to write something?" And I'm like, "I don't do the last five hundred years." Uh-huh. <laughs> she's like, "Great, <laughs> we'll do it." And she, and um and that really kind of marked the shift in in my career and in my research to toward Mormon feminism. One thing that was happening in the community at that time is that. The blogs had been around for such a long time, and we were starting to get podcasts. Podcasts were still pretty new at that point, but I think Mm -hmm. there was the FMH podcast that was out. Mm -hmm. And um, people started making claims about the community, things like, well, Mm -hmm. Mormon feminists are really active as a group, and Mormon feminists are this, Mm -hmm. and Mormon feminists are that. And I was like, this is so interesting. I wonder if we could begin to test any of these claims that the community has about itself. And so we did a survey and um, people- Go research. Go research, (laughs) right? Go research. And I think we got about 1,800 Mormon feminists (gasps) to tell us bits and pieces of their story. And this was in 2013. We ran a similar after- so, so that, and that paper is based on, is based on that survey. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, I'm a Mormon feminist and, um, yeah. But I just
2: love that you are required reading
1: for certain (laughs) classes at BYU. That just makes me happy. I just want to share that. No, that's That's very kind. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, and I wrote, and I wrote that when I was still in this very believing, trying to make it work Mm. kind of space. And I don't stay in that space, but I am still proud of that paper. Um, and I still think that many of the observations that we made in that paper still kind of hold about the community and you know, I'm proud of that. So. Very
0: cool. And it's interesting. Cause yeah, we talked about this within like exponent conversations too, just like, like who, who is exponent for, like, is it for people yeah. who are like still super into church or not into church and And like, when are we like a gateway for people of like, (laughs) I'm like, I tried to make it work and then it's not working anymore. I mentioned this in a different podcast episode of, I did helped a lot with a um, subscription drive and cold emailed a lot of people and a lot of no responses, but quite a few like, thank you. I no longer participate in Mormon adjacent spaces. Thank you. At the time it was such a help. And so just interesting, like, like capturing that a little bit uh, along the way.
1: And that's one of the things that I've loved about Mormon feminism and the spaces of the exponent, which is that we have women who are very much in and committed to being, you know, faithful, or if you know, faithful, faithful Latter-day Saint women. And I think we have a lot of people in other spaces. And I think we do work hard to try and create inclusive spaces, even though that's also a very deeply imperfect work, but in terms of like fringy Mormon spaces, I think that we in Mormon feminism work harder to be cognizant of people in different places than other kinds of communities do. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm very proud of us for for <clears throat> like continuing so, to be committed to that. Yeah. Tell Thank me
2: you. what the MHA conference, the Mormon History Association conversation was like. Is it is it's a blend? It's I know it's a mix yes. of people. I'm kind of wondering do people stay on opposite sides of the, <laughs> you know, the table. (laughs) Yeah. How do people navigate
1: it? Yeah. So every, so this is such a, okay. So I've been going to MHA for, um, not every year in the last decade, but most years in the last decade, actually, Mm -hmm. I think, I think my first time was when exponent was doing its 40th. It had a big 40th session at MHA when it was in Provo in 2014. So I think that was my first one. Um, and that was very intimidating. So there's like MHA. Okay. So MHA is quite political. So I'm going to have to be mm-hmm. a little, okay, can be, you can be
0: as careful okay. as you need to.
1: Yeah. If you need as, me to make a
0: bleeping noise, I can't. Yeah. And we'll edit <laughs> over you, this. So if you want to redact Thank anything, you. let us know. Or
2: just, no. just say it in pig Latin. Don't, you know, that
1: totally sounds good. good. I will do that. I will do that. <laughs> Um, but you know, it, I think for a long time, there has been a pretty big gender divide.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and MHA is also very white and it has long focused on the institution of the LDS church Mm -hmm. at the same time. I think in recent years, there has been more breaking down of that gender divide, um, with more conscious effort to try and do that by both men and women. Um, in the community. And I think that uh, MHA is no longer n- exclusively a white space, but now but now there, there are people from a variety of different kinds of backgrounds. Um, MHA used to be almost entirely LDS and or with, with a few like our LDS, then community of Christ people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the community of Christ contingent was fairly small this year, but um, there are lots of n- never Mormons, never Mohs, yeah. That are now engaging in Mormon studies as like uh, where, where Mormons are an interesting case study for the history or the mm-hmm. sociology that they're doing. And so it's it's really, it's kind of an interesting space. So in Mormon history, I would say that there are always a couple of different kinds of conversations that are happening. This is if this is like a MHA primer of sorts, right? Like, yes. <laughs> so, so, the, or there are a couple of different questions and a couple of different themes that are generally coming around. So, the the people who are obsessed with the details of Joseph Smith's life, there are always a number of panels that are like, okay, but what did Joseph eat for breakfast? Really, like, and and mm. and I am totally making fun of those people. They are not listening to this podcast. We're all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So then then we have like sessions that have to do largely with like women and women's history. And a lot of that has traditionally focused on the 19th century, but there are a lot more sessions now that are focusing on the 20th century and on contemporary women, which Mm -hmm. is very exciting to me because I'm very interested in the 20th century and contemporary women. Um, And then there are Black and Indigenous Studies Mm -hmm. Um, Are often are much better represented these days. There are usually a number of sessions dealing with like uh, indigenous Mormons or relationships between Native Americans and Mormons, Mm -hmm. together with um, African African American Mormons, um, past and present. And then global Mormon studies is really big thing now. So what's happening Mm -hmm. with folks? um globally what does that look like globally and so those are those are kind of the the standard kind of categories of sessions and then a couple of questions at least in my mind keep coming we kind of keep coming back to and some of them they, they kind of look like how mormons have always claimed the sense of sorry and i'm i use the term mormons i'm not i do, i kind of reject the whole that's we're thing. not precious Don't it's okay that. that's okay yeah. mm-hmm But um, so, so question is that Mormons always claim to be peculiar. To what extent is that true? Or is that not true? And for a long time, I think it was largely assumed, or held to be something that was very true about the community. Um, But that's been questioned by a lot of scholarship recently, particularly as Mormon studies isn't just its own separate and isolated subfield, but a field that's kind of now in dialogue more with American religious studies and global religious studies. It's like, oh, Mormons aren't unique. They're just kind of the same in their own special way. as like many other different kinds of religious groups. And so like that's like Mormon peculiarity or particularity is always kind of a question that comes up. And then you might have work that looks at particular features of Mormonism or compares them with other kinds of religious groups and that kind of thing. So, and there's always, especially I'm something that I'm interested in very much are questions of like, when are Mormons trying to be like the people around them and when are they really trying to emphasize their differences, which is a slightly separate question than, um, than the previous one but but has mm-hmm. to do with issues of assimilation and and uh and then you know it's how are people surviving in in the surviving and thriving in the west you know especially okay. in the 19th century and so there are just a couple of different kind of conversations that inevitably a lot of talks kind of come back to um you know together with what are the what are what are the particular cultural features of mormonism or the particular doctrinal features or how, and how did those things develop so mormon history looks a lot like a lot looks a lot like that and a lot of it focuses on what the church is doing and what church leaders are doing but one of the great thing about things about mormon women the history of mormon women and global mormon studies is that really focuses on what people are doing mm-hmm who mm-hmm. claim this identity and so mm-hmm. what are how are they responding to the religious requirements or right like how are women responding to polygamy and that and that kind of thing or how do can you give a, us yeah can you
2: give us an example from this last um meeting yeah. of some of those ones kind of the more you know feminist women um okay.
1: yeah specific S- ones so Andrea radke who's the historian mm. at BYUI and, mm. um, and someone who has kind of been in, participated in Mormon, femi- well, feministy spaces, at least a little bit for a while, for a long while. Um, so she gave uh, the Mormon women, so there's a bre- special breakfast every MHA called from, that's sponsored by the Mormon Women's History Initiative, and M- MWIT is their acronym. Mm. We mm. love our acronyms. Oh, yeah. Um, and she was the kind of speaker for the breakfast. And she, so this was in Rochester, New York, which is also home to like Susan B. Anthony and the first Great. Women's Rights Convention and Frederick Douglass and, and all of those things. And so she gave a very entertaining, very smart presentation on the relationship between Susan B. Anthony and Mormon women framing it as like a stages of dating and marriage. Ooh. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. No, this, it was, it was so funny. Like it Aww. was, and not only was it so funny, it was like very insightful with many like good stories. And it kind of ends with their honeymoon phase where the honeymoon phase was illustrated with this, um, I guess in the Anthony home that's owned by the park service, there's talking about the dress. I'm talking a about the dress. Silk yeah. Dress. Black, dress. A black silk dress, a little black right? And a
2: big black dress, not the, a little black dress. Uh-huh. It's a big black
1: dress. <laughs> <laughs> it is not a little black dress. No. no. Um, it is a big black dress. Yeah. W- that was made by silk. Um, that was made by Mormon women and kind of sent as a bolt of cloth to, um, to Susan B. Anthony, but kind it kind of, but she really goes into all like the language that the younger generation use for different stages of relationship, and it was really okay. funny. And oh, um, oh, and it was that's fabulous. It was fabulous, and it was all the best of what you get from somebody who's been lecturing to nineteen-year-olds,
0: right? So, Good um, point.
1: Trying <laughs> is to right. make the, and the, the Idaho, which
0: is very marriage focused, dating focused, yeah.
2: yeah. Very dating focused, where scholars are punished. You yes, know, yes, professors who are yes. on That's the academic right. side the kind of get their hand slapped, you know,
1: absolutely, absolutely. But, um, so that was really a highlight for me with her presentation mm-hmm. because that was a lot of fun, and then there was another session, um on people who were doing global women and some of the different kinds of methodologies that they use to study global, global women. There was um, Brie Romanello who studies uh, mm-hmm. Latino women. And then there was Alison Halford who has studied UK women or really English women, uh, English Roman women. And then Hazel O'Brien, who's just had a book come out on Irish women. Mm-hmm. And they were all talking about like how they went about doing their research and some of the ethics and ethical considerations of um such a panel wait I think I'm missing someone from darn okay I think was there Farina there was somebody else in there too and they also gave a good presentation so if they are listening to this and being like Nancy forgot me I'm so sorry um Marina King we'd never forget you no, I'm pretty Whatever sure. You did. It. Awesome. <laughs> it was, it, I think it was someone else. And, you know, I'm just having one of those moments. Okay. But like,
0: we okay. can add them in later. We can add it to right. notes.
1: Yes. But um, there were, there were just many good sessions. So some of the sessions are presenting like findings, like here's what we found, but these were more social science scholars saying, mm. you know, here's how we go about doing, studying these different kinds of groups. So like Allison Halford was talking about this thing called photo voice, which was really cool that I'd never heard of where you give people cameras or get people to take pictures of their lives or set up pictures to help to like, where they create meaning and then explain that meaning mm. super interesting. And it's like, that's a methodology I would like to learn about. Yeah. And then to Hazel O'Brien, who is using participant observation, where she participated in two Irish Mormon wards for six months. No, okay. a year, and uh, and and that was really interesting because she's an atheist, and so okay. and they would ask her okay. to like give prayers and things, and so she'd kind of botch some you know Mormony, Mormonish prayers, um, but all very different, you know. So, they're talking about how we do the work of different kinds of scholarship, um, and of course, most of the papers are related to the discipline of history, and the work comes from the archive. And so, mm-hmm. no, it was Carolyn Klein. What am I? I was thinking. This I was is wondering, where is it the <laughs> like, where was at the crossroad? Like, all sure. uh-huh. of our good friend Carolyn Klein. Uh-huh. Carolyn, uh-huh. I am. Okay. Caroline, I am so sorry. Like, this <laughs> is this is just. I'm still not quite recovered, and I was staying in the hotel room with Caroline. Oh. And her book won an award, so this is hey, congrats, so Caroline. Congrats to Caroline. Her her book, Mormon Women at the Cross, Mormon Women at the Crossroads, won yeah. an award for best. Yeah, sinner, and child. I think her, I think her podcast
2: got got an award.
1: I don't remember about the podcast, okay. but her book got an award, and that was well, good. That was super excellent because it was a really great book. Um, Anyway, so so people are just kind of presenting on a lot of different things, and um, and it's and it was really interesting from both historical findings to what you to like how people do the work that they do, especially when they're in the social sciences. I also have to confess. That when I go to these kinds of conferences and I know a lot of people, especially like MHA, I will only go to a couple of sessions and I'm mostly going to spend most of my time in the hall talking to people. So yeah. <laughs> I may not be a very good like reporter on like all the exciting presentations um, because I'm just going to trust that they're going to end up in print in one form yeah, or another. But um, in these conferences, there's a lot of catching up because a lot of these scholars are friends or they're interested in, you know, hearing what people are doing or debating something that they disagree about or, you know, Mm -hmm. hearing different perspectives. And so I really go to conferences for the good hallway conversation. And so that was
0: absolutely
1: that was a lot of fun. That was my favorite part of it was a wonderful conference and on the last day there was a devotional cuz there's always a devotional at MHA there's also is a lot of Is it trying to convert people like is that cuz like don't, does the LDS church pay for any of it I don't believe so i believe okay. MHA is entirely independent okay okay um, i'm i'm oh, pretty on. sure but there's always been a devotional and there's a lot of praying before the meals mm-hmm. and for an academic conference this just always hits super weird, even the very active people. They're like, this is weird to be praying at a conference before the meal, but there were a lot of prayers. Um, so we get to the devotional, uh, the devotional has been organized by my friend and colleague, David Howlett, who's, uh, also an elder in community of Christ. And he has this like lovely bit at the beginning that he says about how we can reframe the sacred grove experience to the first vision experience is like, you know, um, you know in those moments when we feel like we are seeking for answers it is like you know trying to do a more generous read and reframe of the sacred grove which is kind of what we are tempted to do for such things in community of christ um we heard from kathleen flake who talked about uh, her particular take on what was important in her career because she's coming she is retiring my understanding okay. is that she is retiring soon mm-hmm. and so and so that was interesting somebody from the tabernacle choir sang, um, a Mormon women's suffrage hymn for Ooh, us, Wow! Was great. You know, that was a lot of fun. Um, and we sang, I think we closed with, by singing as a congregation, like Joseph Smith's first prayer or something, Okay. but it was really interesting because all of this was taking place in the sac- in the sacred grove. The last time I was there was like stake youth conference and maybe 1996 <laughs> oh when we're like, late- Caravan of like four or five full buses from Maine. So like, this is not a short trip. And so um, we kind of all land in the sacred grove, which is really nothing like I remember it being, you know, I was, you know, Mormon teenager full of like big, big religious feelings Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. testimony meeting and that kind of thing. Um, And my faith today is very different, but it was really interesting going to the Sacred Grove. It was extremely beautiful. Like, and we were, it was like all wildflowers and like under the canopy of really tall trees, just kind of green and lush. And like, yeah, I could totally see people feeling like they're encountering God. It like, it was Mm. easy to imagine such a thing. And then um, I was fortunate to drive around that day with uh Locke Mackay and um John I Nichols. Tell who he is. I don't oh, know. Oh Locke Mackay, who is head yeah. of um sacred like uh, historic sites and history stuff in community of Christ, he's an apostle, mm. um, and also a, a lovely human. Um, and he he took a bunch of us um there was John Nichols and Kathleen Flake and myself. And we went to a bunch of historic sites on afterwards and we walked up to the Hill Kimura, and we went to where the Grandin press where the book of Mormon was mm-hmm. first printed. And we saw Alvin Smith's grave, the kind of sibling that died before a lot of the, before, you know, the, the Latter-day Saint movement really got off the ground. And, um, and that was really lovely. And, uh, but it was interesting being back in all of these spaces, having a very different kind of faith, um, these days and largely viewing Joseph Smith in not the most generous way I could say it is not a very favorable light. And so, (laughs) um, and, and going through palmyra so in the main corner of palmyra there was like it's like a tiny little town but there's this intersection right in the middle of the town and on one corner is the episcopal church and on the other corner is the presbyterian church and on the other the third corner is a baptist church and then the mm-hmm. other corner had like an either an evangelically or a pentecostal but mm-hmm. i'm not sure that they were the original owners of the building but anyway, this like this like tiny town with these four large churches all kind of across the street from each other and the way in which, you know, a kid, a 14-year-old would feel the tension mm-hmm. and the pull mm-hmm. from the different kind of messages that these churches were putting forward and in his small town, you know, way kind of, you know, try and find a way to reconcile that. And that um, was really useful, like it and, You know, I'm, it didn't, my sacred grove experience this time didn't make me, you know, want to rejoin the LDS church or, you know, believe in the historicity of the book of Mormon or, or the goodness of Joseph Smith, but it did give context to a lot of things. And that was, I think, one of the best parts. MHA is always in a different place every year. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of, often those places are in Utah, but sometimes Mm -hmm. they're not in Utah And I could really see the benefit of visiting other places to encounter some of um, these places and locations and how they give us like a different view of history by being present in a different kind of place. And that was cool. That was very cool. Very cool. The the Hill Camorra though had a lot of mosquitoes. So that felt a little less sacred than the (laughs) other (laughs)
0: places. Well, and the, like, they don't do the pageant anymore. So it's interesting. Yeah, Yeah. Like that. That change? They, yeah, I'm so yeah confused I have feelings about yeah. that
2: pageant because part Same. of me really loves some of that pokey stuff.
0: Pageantry.
2: Yeah. But yeah. Um, my kids were horrified by the pageant.
1: I had a dean an, who was like offended. the art director. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think that's why they, pro- one of the reasons why they closed them down, they were a yeah. little bit hokey and offensive.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot of, um, really dark foundation to lamanite people
1: though. So. It's not good. It's <laughs> not good. No, it's not a good look. Not a good you should, look. You should not do that. That, that is not a good look. Yeah. No, brown no. Face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Nope. And so, yeah, so we're not doing that anymore, but these sites still exist and they're still pretty well-marked um by the church when they're owned by the church um or there were even some kind of local history local history markers um Mm. around the town and that was kind of cool so yeah so that's kind of mha in a nutshell you get to see a lot of people you get to hear some interesting things um and often get to go to a cool place yeah we're for
0: ones in the past where have your other favorite locations been
1: um, or is this
0: like the most exciting one in a way, because this is the, of
1: Utah? This is the furthest away one that I've been to
0: because yeah. um, we hung out at the
2: one two years ago in Logan yes. Park City.
1: I think I'm pretty sure it was Park City Heather. You're right. It was Park City. It was Logan the next year. It was Logan mm-hmm. the next year, so this yes. was, yes, so when we hung out and I loved I loved that conference because it was a smaller conference. It was still like, you know. Like the previous one had been canceled because of COVID, and Mm -hmm. this was going to be in person, and um, and it was just so wonderful to see people. Like it was just so, you know, it would reunion, yeah, reunion. Just kind of felt desperate to like, just hungry to touch other people's flesh. Yes, (laughs) yeah, no, exactly. And so that was like really special, um, because of that, and it was also. And as we were having these like deep and meaningful conversations, kind of reconnecting with people, the site where it was in Park City was just where the Olympic uh, jumpers, like the ski jumpers, were practicing by jumping into a pool. There was like this whole setup. And so, you know, you were having serious conversations about these things. And they're just in the background, like people on skis (laughs) sliding down this like constructed ski run yeah, in the middle of the summer and fall. As,
2: as people are arguing over whether or not Joseph Smith was sealed to his dog kolob in the temple and what they had for <laughs> breakfast yeah you're watching you know these triple backflips into right.
1: the skis on it was just super surreal it was Ooh. surreal it was surreal and yet um that was really great that was that was good and a very different kind of conference um that one also came out just after the um Oh, it was the Forger. The Forger from the the show that was on was it Donald Trump? Yes, the Mark Mark Hoffman. Right. Hoffman. Okay. Thank you. What what was it called? What, do you remember what
0: I hear uh
1: Steve will know. Ask Steve. Well, it was that TV show that had just come out and they had this whole big panel, the kind of conference opened with this big panel of all the people who' had either been in the documentary history or... of the forgery. It was so exciting. yeah
0: no totally I love that one
1: <laughs> no that was that which was yeah that was cool um but I also remember a really lovely conference in Boise uh, a year or two before that and um I remember lots I'm, of
0: I'm from Boise.
1: Yeah, it was oh, it's a cute town. I just remember like a big group of us kind of going out for dinner and then heading out for ice cream later in the evening. And it was mm-hmm. just like a big group of women and it was just really wonderful to be with, you know, friends and colleagues and yeah just to, hey, to murder d- among the Mormons. That's murdering the really, Mormons. That's, right. that's what Thank it was. You, yeah. It was a big murder panel and it was so great.
2: Yeah. Well, murder's very trendy. Murder
1: documentaries and podcasts are very trendy. So yes, yes. All the cool kids are doing it. Have you thought about <laughs> doing are there any? No, I mean, are there any Mormon feministy murders? Hopefully there are no exponent murders.
0: I don't know if any exponent murders. Mm-mm. Stuff no. with just like heavy murders that like people like Janarese have talked about in on, on podcasts or the like mm-hmm. men who kill their yeah. wives or like Yeah. Uh, good.
1: No. Not okay. awesome. Not awesome. Okay. So there are no <laughs> murders for this particular, but podcast, I have to tell a shame.
2: you if I were going to murder someone, mm-hmm. I know how I would dispose of the body. Hmm. Number 10 cans, label it as Lima beans and put it in food storage. Nobody will uh, ever uh, find the body. No. pieces. No, you're right. Never.
0: Correct. Food storage. That's what perfect. that's what's in the food storage.
1: That's that's what's in the food storage. Okay. So somebody has to tell Metty Harrison, who has written murder mysteries, you know, for yeah. Mormons. And then maybe this would make its way into that that is like the perfect Mormon woman's murder. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Next I'm, to the next to plan. the
0: canned peach or the yeah, the peaches and the
2: Yeah. Dun, yep. dun. No, and oh you just God. have to label it something that like nobody would want
1: to eat. So. It's like you label it coffee beans or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. okay.
0: Nancy, questions about your research a little bit. Uh, sure. or, I, I guess for the conference first and then your research is you kind of tease it like which topics you're kind of sick of. Are there any topics you're like, can we please stop talking about this? And are there any topics that like, I can't get enough. I want to talk about this forever.
1: Okay, so one of the topics that I hate the most go on is Joseph Smith. Okay, so Joseph (laughs) Smith. So there is some, so there's one view of Mormon studies and Mormon history that it's really all about Joseph Smith and that the whole movement, everything that's happened in the church is really fundamentally about Joseph Smith and Mm. it kind of begins and ends there. I disagree, in the strongest possible terms. Although I did this time give a paper on Joseph Smith, on a oh. portrait of Joseph Smith. I know it's it's kind of the art history, and okay, how, okay. okay. So it was a, so it was a little bit art history, and I don't really do art history in Mormon spaces, but I gave it a whirl. Yeah. Um, I Do it again because because okay. people because when people go to a session on Joseph Smith, they just kind of all lose their minds a little bit, and okay. yeah and this is just a topic. It's just a topic that brings out the worst in everybody. Mm. I mean, sorry. That's, and this is my point of view. You listener might love dearly all the minutiae of Joseph Smith's life. And I just feel like we have a lot of big and interesting questions to investigate in, in um, our tradition and across Latter-day Saint traditions and the minutiae of Joseph Smith's life is not one of them. Okay, hey, question. Yes. Is it mostly men who are obsessed with it or are women also obsessed with it? I mean, women are kind of obsessed with it too. Okay. So okay. Do, you remember, do you remember when, so the session that I was speaking in was, so I was speaking about the David Rogers portrait, which is like the a standard, the early painted the portrait. The cravat of, one. Yes, the, cra- the cravat one. Yeah, okay. with the cra- It's the cravat portrait. Yes. Got it. And then the other papers were about the daguerreotype. Okay. And people were, people kind of lose their minds about the daguerreotype.
0: That's like the death mask one or that's no no one is alive. Okay. No. So there's. Oh, this is the one that's like, did this recently come out? Is it
1: that one? It's that one. It's the one that recently. So a daguerreotype. (laughs) And it's like, no way. Joseph is way hotter than Matt did. Uh, did uh,
0: Not my my profit. Hashtag.
1: Right. Well, and you know, he kind of looks like a frontier cult leader in in the, in that image, you know. Mm. And uh, and anyway, so people kind of lose their minds a little okay, bit I about think Joseph Smith. I forgot about that one. And um, yeah. And so. And so that's not, that's not, that's not my favorite topic, but I think that, so, so I think that there are a couple of underexplored topics. I still think there's so much to study about the 20th century and about yes. the present, both historically, sociologically, theologically, there is so much work to do one topics I'm interested in. And dear listener, if you are searching for a Mormon history topic, please feel free to steal one of these purity uh, culture, charity, yes, culture, purity is culture, culture understudied its relationship um and influences both ways with evangelical communities is something mm. we need to understand like so much better in order to um both historically but also to try and put to rest some of the nonsense that we've all un- undoubtedly experienced um especially think, in
0: the young women's program
1: especially in the women's program right yeah. kind of so sex and sexuality are really understudied topics in Mormonism. Um, mm. And so I but think- they're like,
2: clearly huge. I mean, Jennifer Finlayson's wife has to be making a killing right? with all of her workshops. I mean, people cannot get enough
1: of no. her stuff. No. Mm-hmm. So, and she does such excellent work, more power to has her. research- Research, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so one thing, okay, so this is, okay, so this- we're getting Wait, you right can't right it away. What you can't pray it away. But something that's just so there was this book that came out based on um survey a survey of like twenty thousand evangelical women in the United States that um was really asking them about sex and purity culture, um and I think that Sheila Gregoire okay uh, Gregoire is the the first author of the book. It's called the book's called The Great Sex Rescue. But one mm-hmm. thing that she observes is that women who have experienced purity culture teachings um, are experience vaginismus, which is painful, painful sex, mm-hmm. at a rate mm-hmm. of twenty percent. Twenty percent of the population, wow. where it's understood that broadly, in like all the population, it's maybe like two to four percent, or like much, much, much lower. And I can imagine that if you were to survey our population, that we would have similarly outrageously high numbers of conditions like vaginismus or other kinds of sexual dysfunctions. And we usually associate sexual dysfunction with. Yeah. And in my, in my very narrow scope of practice, anecdotally,
2: I have seen it. And, and given that I've seen at this point in my career, such a small number of people, it's freaky how many I've seen. And they are very orthodox LDS. Exactly. And so I I think, think, right. So some kind of correlation. Absolutely. So Mm, I think that there's a sense
1: in, right. So we're, we're, if we can, you know, understand kind of the origins and development of like, where did purity culture in our tradition, how did that develop? Where did it come from? How do we document that? Um, But then also understand that this can have like a really devastating impact. On people's lives, on people's very real lives, and um, and maybe use that information to inform how we talk about sex and sexuality. Now, in the LDS tradition, I don't necessarily anticipate teachings on sex and sexuality to um, change dramatically, even if I would like to. Um, but you know, being aware and understanding these things, this is exactly what I think <laughs> these are these are ripe topics for mm-hmm. our young budding mm-hmm. Mormon feminist scholars for sure. Mm -hmm. So sex and sexuality, um, with many topics related to sex and sexuality, um, but also just things like, um, the ways in which people in different parts of the country and around the world live their Mormonism in complicated, ordinary ways. Um, and I think that just the, or the, you know, within that idea of like, right, like well-behaved women seldom make history. Uh There is, you know, high five, Laurel. um, (laughs) It's a verbal footnote there. Um, But there, but there's just a lot of, I think, women and children and non-binary people's life experience within the church that is because it is not seen as ideal. um, It is not discussed and it is not understood Mm -hmm. and there's no history on it. And there's no, it doesn't really enter broader, the broader discussion of things. And I think that that's, I think that's a shame. I think so, there are a lot of topics in there. Absolutely. The people
2: I know who would research those topics would be more inclined to be the therapist. Mm-hmm. And then they would write papers and present it at like the Mormon mental health association yes. and these other things. So I'm wondering if some of this stuff is happening, but it's not
1: finding its way to MHA yes. because it's being yes. packaged a little bit differently. Sure. So I will also then plug the Mormon social science association which I am the president elect for. And we have okay. a, one day, we have a one day conference, um, that we're trying to restart. We had it in St. George this spring, but for therapists and of anybody involved in the social sciences and even a history, a social science leaning history paper would, would qualify for this, um, that's focused on behavior. Um, you know, I invite people to come and present at our really friendly, small MSSA conferences, because we had several people in mental health present one presented on LGBT parents and their process of acceptance Mm. um, of their LGBT kids. And I want to say we had another therapist and I can't remember. I can't remember what she, what she was working. Okay. But, but we've had, but, but these would be other spaces beyond Mormon mental health. Um, association Mm -hmm. to present findings and research, or also sociology, anthropology. Um, These are also disciplines that would contribute nicely, or even education would also Mm -hmm. contribute nicely to um, a Mormon social science space. Um, And, you know, the and of course, the social science folks aren't necessarily going to always easily see themselves um, be, you know, at MHA because of that history focus. Right. No, I'm glad that there's yeah. that other, these other spaces as well. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that there's a lot, I think there's a lot of good and interesting work to be done about all the stuff that doesn't, that's really like related to the institution, but it's not about what profit did what, when, and what the Quorum of the Twelve did but it's what ordinary people do when in the course of like living their faith is I think a super interesting question, right? Like, I think there's a lot of movements for, there's been a lot of like, um, relief society groups and ward groups and state groups helping, you know, with, with, resettle refugees and like mm-hmm. that, like people's experiences doing that work and then receiving that work on the refugee side, like that would be, that would be a great topic to study. Um, you know, so, so I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways in which uh, the ordinary stuff of life doesn't, we don't, is also like the stuff of research, and and that's I think the stuff that we need to see in Mormon studies. Which is mm,
0: no, I think we need to talk more about leaders and just leaders and official records and <laughs> just, just and the fact kidding, that they're kidding, all kidding, white men.
2: It's that's right. It. That's not their, That's not why we're studying them. It's
0: yeah. <sighs> no. No, thanks, sir. And I appreciate you sharing that. Like what you brought up earlier in the in this episode was that like when you're, we're researching women, that there's more space for the ordinary people because they aren't the, like, here's the official record is my assumption is why there's just that more expansive.
1: Yeah. And when, and and when we do, if we, if we do research or oral histories, like we've got the Claremont or, uh, Claremont Mm -hmm. women's oral history project, right. Trying to document in many ways, like the everyday lives of Mormons, um, Mormon women, um, around the globe, that's important story that also tells like the history tells about, tells researchers in the broader world about the history and culture of our faith in interesting everyday language. Absolutely. And, and that's, so I've, important. I've
2: done, I've done two trips with the, mm-hmm. with the Mormon women history, oral history project. And one of them was so interesting. Um, Liz Layton Johnson and I were in um, South Africa, we're in Johannesburg and we're at the area authority office, which is also the temple. It's sort of like everything all rolled into one. Mm. And we were talking with a couple who'd been sent down there to sort of be historians. And the the wife was saying to Liz and I, What do you guys do? And I said, Oh, we're we're here to collect oral histories of everyday regular Mormon women. And her jaw just dropped. And she says, I'm so jealous whenever we're supposed to do histories, it's always supposed to be first. And so it ends up being the first branch president, the first Ooh. bishop, the first stake president, the, the first, first, and it's the first, mm. it's all men. She's yep. like, I never get to interview women and, and their stories are missing. She was so excited that we were doing it. And, and it really does matter. I mean, and that it really matters. Stuff is like ordinary people
1: ordinary no? people.
2: Right. No,
1: absolutely. The work of ordinary people doing, you know, ordinary things and living Mormonism, but in different regions of the world and therefore interpreting it differently. So absolutely. I, so I am, so I'm writing a book. I'm on a second draft. It's, it's killing me. I got to get to the end go of this, book. um, on lived experiences with garments. Ooh, and yeah. this is just the topic that keeps on giving, in the sense of it relates to power dynamics it has to do with people's marriage relationships it has to do with sex and sexuality it has to do with like church teaching and bodies and yeah. embodied religion and lived religion and all these different modesty and, Mo- yeah. oh my goodness modesty is such a big deal yeah. right modesty and history and temple and covenant and like all these different things um and so I think, you know, I want to see like a paper on the, his, a good paper on the history of the CTR ring. Cause that is, a, I'm sure that like, that is an interesting, like there are just so many. There already subjects. is a fun fact that she taught me. Cause I had the e- ERA
0: yeah. now poster in my upstairs room. And she's like, is actually that
2: the, I, I listened to a podcast once and it talked about how the CTR ring—they mm-hmm. chose the color because it looked like the yeah. ERA poster. It's that
1: right. same that color. That blew my mind. Yes. yeah, you and know? I've heard that too, but I've never seen it like really well documented in a paper. And like, but like, that's that yes. would be a great yes. presentation. Yes. That would be a great paper, you know, like right, like or all or even right, like you know, the changing young women's medallions and the changing yes. young women's theme, like all these. And, or how people experience her like that. There are so many bits and pieces of life, what seems like fairly ordinary life, um, but ultimately is interpreted differently in different places. Um, you know, when I lived in England, it was the little old ladies in the congregation who were the most likely to resist any, like to resist, mm-hmm. um, Correlation the, correlation, the super, super pushes toward conformity mm. or like calls for obedience. And it was like, uh, you know, but which is, you know, the church just looks a little bit different and people understand it a little bit differently around the world. And that was definitely, yeah. Yeah. that was, you know, even true, even true. And especially true with garments with the United States, which is that people, yeah. different people experience that these things really differently. And then they take on different well, meanings. The church is like mm. McDonald's. We like to think that it's right. the same everywhere, right. but you go to Hawaii
2: McDonald's and they have like funky shakes that they don't have yeah. here. You yeah. know, they have pi- pineapple pies instead of your apple or your cherry pie, you know? Right. So there's different flavors. Like there right. is a sort of a mm-hmm. standard thing. We have this image that's the same, yeah. but, it, but it's all, all the potatoes are peeled a little bit differently.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, that's not bad, that's interesting, right yeah. that's and um, and knowing that and understanding that can maybe help us resist some of those moments when we're feeling a lot of pressure to conform, or yeah, it's useful to know that like that that the important thing about the church isn't just the hierarchy, it's the people, like other Christians mm. understand the concept of the church as being the body of believers and not the institution, and that's something yeah. that we as Mormons have. I've always believed, or as a practicing Mormon, I often thought that the church was the brethren, right? Like the church mm-hmm. was, and we were just lucky enough to be able to participate. Um, <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But, but I love this idea that, well, what if we said that Mormonism was really about the body of believers and like, that's so interesting. We should learn more about them. You know, it's, which is, which is a, a an approach that many people who are working um, on and Mormon studies these days are taking not just institutional approaches. So,
2: okay, Nancy, so where is the
1: conference being held next year? So next year it's being held in Kirtland, Ohio. Ooh. And so it's going to be where the Kirtland temple is. And so if you've never been to that particular church history site, there's going to, um, I'm sure at least part of the conference or the devotional, or there'll be tours or something, um, is going to be there. And I have never been there, so I'm a little excited to, okay. to go, um, mm-hmm. Christine Hagland, who who many people know, long time again, participant yes. from this community, um, when she found out that it was going to be in Kirtland, she was trying to drum. She's already trying to get a choir together so we can oh. sing fabulous music oh, I love it. in the Kirtland Temple. And yeah. so um, I am super looking forward to singing fabulous music in the Kirtland Temple. Okay. So are
2: you already working? Are you going to try to present next year or are you just going to sit this one out and enjoy it? Talk in the hallway.
1: Um I usually try and present because I like the opportunity okay. to get some kind of feedback. Um yeah. I might even try and present something on garments which I haven't presented mm-hmm. at this mm-hmm. conference because it's a little bit explosive a topic.
0: Yeah, um it is.
1: It but we is. see like if
0: yeah with um even just an exponent with the blog when people write about yeah. garments a lot
1: of
2: Anything temple related people really get very sensitive
1: they do because every I yes they do Um, and I will and I will tell people oh yes I'm writing a book on garments and often people will get immediately very irate and then proceed to tell me all of their deepest darkest garment secret stories. So, wow! <laughs> so okay. first they get That's defensive and then they
2: get confessional. Yeah,
1: basically yes. Let's
2: do a podcast on garments sometime. Would you be
1: willing to do that? Yes, perfect. And hey. and and there's another person, I think she was just interviewed, s- oh, Peggy Fletcher Stack wrote a, um, th- somebody else has also just done a cer sur- a big, a big survey. Okay. Again, so, research. Yeah. Yep. Research. Mm-hmm. Research is good. Um, yeah. So maybe I will get brave and present on garments in a Mormon space. All right. Um, good. Yeah. I, okay. So I know we're, we're running out of time. A question I have is,
0: do you feel like there is more grace given to non-Mormons who never Mormons, nomos who do research because it's like, oh, that's a cute novel. Then grace toward people who were previously Mormon, but are no longer practicing.
1: So one of the tricky things about MHA and, you know, and I hope, and I believe that this is better than when I started attending MHA, is it all the internal dynamics of the LDS church Um, together with their attendant identities and advantages and disadvantages play out in the MHA community. Mm. And so that is, that is tricky. That is like a tricky thing to navigate. So while I don't identify as LDS anymore, there are still a number of spaces where I still have to kind of navigate these same things. And Mm. so, and so that is tricky. um, And at the same time, I think these days there's a large contingent of women scholars who are very friendly and very approachable. And there's a bunch of us who are now looking to try and mentor like other people. There are kind of some generational gaps for women in MHA. You've got your much older crowd, your Claudia Bushman's and your Laurel Thatcher Ulrich and your Kathleen Flakes. And then you've got a couple of people um, and others. And so I think that there are some folks who are outside the community who have become well ensconced within Mormon History Association. I think more, Lori Maffley-Kipp is very well, res- very well respected mm-hmm. um, in the community, but I also see other folks, Sasha Cole, um, Christina Rossetti, who are also Nevermo scholars who are doing good and deep work in the community. And we need those outside perspectives as well. I think over time, we recognize that we need outside perspectives to help us make the field more mature. Yeah. Um, and that those comparisons and that, you know, expertise elsewhere um, is useful within Mormon studies, as it gives us different kinds of points of comparison. And, 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 in, and as Mormons are insisting that they are so peculiar and so unusual, mm-hmm. we can actually be like, no, everybody's doing it. You know, like <laughs> one thing and, and 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 when I went when I went to seminary and I took a class on um, on, you know, Protestant women, I was really surprised to find that while we championed. hang on when you say when you went seminary, to seminary, not high not school,
2: early morning
1: seminary. No, I'm not meaning early morning seminary I- like legit. Yeah. Church school. Yeah. I went to Luther seminary and I did a master's in justice and reconciliation a few years ago at Luther seminary and my pref. And, and so we, you know, we're reading a lot on what Protestant women are doing. Um, and you know, from early America onward and, um, and one thing that I'm really struck by is that like every denomination and every congregation has like a relief society, even mm-hmm. <laughs> even though they're not calling it relief society and they're all doing the same kinds of fundraising activities and social work activities and, and that, um, but that's okay because the relief society then is our expression of it. It doesn't have yeah. to be unique and special and the only, it just means that ultimately, you know, this is what Christian groups are doing in this time. Um, and it's okay to be just like everybody else sometimes with your yeah. own little flavor.
0: That's a good way of saying it. Okay. Sorry. I kept saying one more question. One more question though, is do Mormon history association, is it only like church of Jesus Christ, Latter Day Saints, or is it FLDS, RLDS research yeah. topics as well? Is it so, any fringe community of Christ? Yes. Yeah.
1: So there's really been a push in recent years. So these days, um, I so I I saw fund various fundamentalist groups um, represented in the papers. Community of Christ, the RLDA, RLDS yeah. Christ. Yeah. Um, also represented in several papers together with, you know, LDS represented. And so I think that these days there's a greater awareness of and awareness of the documents related to these different traditions that Mm -hmm. would facilitate some of this historical work. And so I think that's one of the best parts of MHA is that, you know, Mormonism just kind of gets more interesting, the more that you can see Mm -hmm. the different flavors of it. And so, and that also offers us some really useful points of comparison. So I've been involved with and studying Mormon feminism for a while, but now I'm also been working on the RLDS women's ordination movement for a while. And these mm-hmm. things get going. So right, like the, just as the exponent is spinning up and as a consciousness raising group in the late sixties and early seventies, it becomes the magazine in 1974. So we also have like RLDS women forming consciousness raising groups in mm-hmm. the late sixties and so some of the, one of those consciousness raising groups becomes a grassroots advocacy for women's ordination and mm. the change status of women in the RLDS church. And putting those two in dialogue with each other is, is really a book that I will hopefully, you know, write before too long with my colleague, David Hallett, because that's really, in, this is yeah. really interesting points of comparison between that's these fascinating groups. Yeah,
0: kind of is. I love yeah. that because I know that like, like the history of X one that I was taught was like, yeah, like Mormon women were trying to figure out like, where, where are we with like the feminist movement? And so it's like,
1: obviously other groups of <laughs> religious yeah.
0: women were having
1: similar yeah. conversations. Same conversation. The, 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 everybody was having similar kinds of conversations and, and, and that doesn't mean the exponent isn't like special and awesome yeah. and wonderful, but it means that like, right, like they're doing they're also doing what other women in similar positions are doing around the country, trying yeah. to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we be women in this new world and how do we reconcile that with right. our faith? And those are interesting questions. Absolutely.
0: Um, any final thoughts, final words? Thank you so, so much, Nancy, for letting really nice pick your brain and give us the details about this year's MHA at in Rochester. Um, thank you so much for your time. And we're excited to have you on in a future episode of the podcast, to talk about garments and your upcoming book. Um, Heather, any closing words? No,
2: it's always delightful to talk to you, Nancy. You are just, I,
0: I know I'm like, I have a million more questions.
1: She's okay. so
2: brilliant. She's so articulate you. and she has a heart of gold.
0: Amen. Well,
1: thank you for having me. I very much enjoyed talking to both of you.
0: Thank you. Thanks Nancy, thanks Heather Have a great
1: rest of your evening you Good night,
2: All right. we'll see, see you guys, guys. This is what Exponent. give it to you
1: wait for you to get it on your own but i will deliver it to you knock knock open up the door to spread it the non-s stop my problem stainless still i'll break bread with the enemy no matter how many cats i break bread with a break who you sending me exponent two give it to your heart he go give two go give it to you he go give it to you first we gonna fight that we gonna fall then we let it
0: don't give it to you. Don't uh, give it to you. Don't 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 give it to you. Don't
1: give it to you.